If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in our series uh, through this book of Ephesus, and uh, or Ephesians through this um, book that was written, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, we are continuing in that series in this series that we've entitled, The Struggle is Real. And uh, how many of you would say this week that the struggle is real uh, for, for you this week? Be honest, you're in church, all right? Was the struggle for real for you this week? Yeah, I'm raising my hands, both of them, all right? So uh, the struggle is real. And so we, we have this series that we've been walking through, and really, thank you, Stephanie, and really utilizing, um, utilizing this book, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And I got to tell you, it was a book that was written really to encourage the first century church in Ephesus, this great city. Now, I'm not going to take any time to kind of walk you through the city of Ephesus because um, we did it in week one, and I want to encourage you um, to go back in week one and uh, listen to that message because God arranging things for this man by the name of Paul, who was uh, an apostle there in the first century, to write this letter, it's outstanding. It's just amazing for the time, for the place. It has God written all over it. It was just ordained by him, and it's really cool. I'm not going to spend any time on that today. But I want to let you know that it was written, this letter was written to the church there really to strengthen the church, to strengthen the Christ follower through unifying beliefs and practices. You see, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, understood that the church needed to become strong. And, and what Paul may not have understood, or, or you know, maybe we know that God understood, was there was very um, shortly after that coming a time when, when the church would be persecuted in a pretty remarkable way. And so I believe in 2017, this message, this letter applies to us maybe now more than any other time in the history of the Western culture in our Western world. And so it, I believe it's written also to us to help us be strengthened both in our unifying beliefs and in our practices. Now, there's an interesting thing that takes place here. I love this. Right at the end of the chapter that we discussed last week, Paul ends it in, in kind of a, a remarkable way. And I want you to see that because there's this transition that happens from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and there's something that he does in, in how he writes and what he writes that's really extraordinary, and it's something that is so meaningful, and I think that maybe sometimes in reading this letter or this book, we may, we may miss this. And so I, I want you to capture this. He, he ends Ephesians chapter 3 in verses 20 and 21 by saying this. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work with us, within us. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And then he ends with this word, and you can say it with me, amen. And there's significance in that. And I know some of you grew up in church where you, know, you would hear that word a lot. Uh, you might hear it in here, and I'm great with that. That's awesome. Because it's a, it's a uh, word, even in the first century, of encouragement or bringing like, to conclusion or summary or emphasizing. It's essentially saying, this was important and I agree with it. 
So when someone says amen or if they wrote amen, especially back in the first century, that was the full meaning of that word. And so Paul is, is bringing this to a close. And I can just picture in Ephesus, like, you know, around like the dinner table, someone reading this letter that was written uh, by Paul from a Roman prison. And they're reading this and they get to the end of chapter three. And you hear, because often these letters were read, you would hear the reader read those words and say amen. And you might think, oh, good, we're done. This was a short book awesome. Time for lunch or dinner or whatever. But Paul has so much more to say. And he begins in the second word of Ephesians chapter 4. He says this in Ephesians 4.1, I, say that next word with me, therefore. And then he goes on and we're going to read it in a moment. But it's important that we understand the full meaning of amen and therefore. There's like this old little adage that um, I learned years ago and it's a little corny, but it's really true. In the Bible, if you're ever reading and you come across the word, therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. You guys are awesome, man. You guys are, you guys are more awake than the first service. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. That, I mean, it's corny, but it really is true. And the whole concept of the amen and the therefore, I don't want to miss the meaning there. I don't want us to miss the meaning. And Paul understood that he was bringing to conclusion Chapters 1 through 3, and he says amen to emphasize that that section was over it and that it was important. And then he says, I therefore, because of everything that just happened. And so the amen and the therefore are an important thing. And basically what he says is that Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about who we are in Christ. Amen. Therefore, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 exists, and it's all about what we do for Christ. Now, think about this for a moment, because, I mean, like, we don't even have to go forward to understand that what Paul is communicating, what God's Holy Spirit is communicating to the church then and the church now is radically different from what the world says to us, because the, what the world says to us is that what you and I do determines who we are. Am I right? Like our accomplishment or our achievement determines our identity. We're indoctrinated with this concept from the beginning of our time here on this earth. We're put into the school system where success matters. We go to college and it matters even more. And we, get our, we, we land our feet out on a, on a football field or a soccer field and success matters or a, a, a court, a basketball court, or uh, perhaps a room somewhere where our, our, athletic, our athleticism is supposed to be used for our gain. It's supposed to be used for our achievement. And so what we do in life, the world says, determines who we are. Accomplishment determines identity. Paul God is saying that who we are determines what we do. He spent these first three chapters describing who we are in Christ, that without Christ we are nothing, that without Christ we can accomplish nothing, that without him we, we, we really are, are filthy rags as we, we just sang about. And, and so essentially what he's saying is, is because of who we are in Christ, therefore now it's time to get to work. And so who we are determines what we do. It's completely counterintuitive. It's completely counterculture. But because of who we are in Christ, because of what he's done, now we can be about our mission. We can be about what we are supposed to do. 
And so we see this played out in Ephesians. I want to read Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We'll read through 16, and we'll stop and study a little bit, and then we'll go and read the rest of it. He says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, that's the second time he's mentioned that, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, a very similar, in fact, the exact same thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 13, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in verse 4, he says, there is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you are called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, or one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, this is a, a, a reference to an Old, Old Testament phrase, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended. What does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Verse 10, He who descends in this one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now listen to verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Some of you are like, I'm using that this afternoon in my house. Paul said, God said, don't, be, don't act like children, don't act like children. Okay, you can, I'm giving you permission. Parents, you can use that today. Wives, you can't. Okay, no, you can use the next part. Okay, he says this, uh, no, no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried, out about, by, uh, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There's the one you can use, ladies, all right, with us guys, because we need to hear that sometimes. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we have this encouragement from the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit and essentially what Paul is saying to the church then and to us now is the fact that it is so important, our purpose, but it is also important, I want you to hear this, how we accomplish our purpose is important as well. He expresses the importance of the how. How we do what we're called to do is as of greatest importance, if not more important than the mission itself. He, he begins the whole chapter by that. I, therefore, an apostle, or excuse me, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, your version may say high calling, of the calling to which you have been called. And he uses four words or phrases right there. He says, walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. And so essentially what he says is that there is a way that we should act as Christians, 
as Christ followers that is high in nature, that is high calling. How we accomplish our mission or that practice is as important as what that mission is. You know, Jesus established, we, we see established all the way back in the Gospels that it's the mission of the church to go into all the world and to preach the Gospel and to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our purpose as a church is to let the world know about the Gospel of Jesus. Our purpose as a church is to passionately share that message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. That's essentially a restatement of that great commission that we find in Matthew. But Paul here is saying that it's as important how we do that. It's as important how we accomplish that. It is, it is an important thing how we do it. And essentially what he boils it down to is, is that we should accomplish the purpose of telling the world about the gospel of Jesus, that good news of Jesus, in a way that is unified. Now, I realize and he goes on for the rest of the chapter and talks about unity. And I realize that some of you are here today and you're like, look, my, with my upbringing, my religious background, my church background, my church background even recently, the last thing that I think of when I think about the church is unity. And I'm sorry about that. Shame on us, really. Because God calls us to do this mission in a way that is unified around the truth of the gospel message. And so Paul here in chapter 4 of Ephesians is calling us, God is calling us to a place of unity and to have unity in the church. To come together to be able to work for a purpose. To cooperate for the gospel message in a way that's unifying. I love uh, Peanuts cartoons, Charlie Brown. Lucy and Linus, Sally, and the, the whole group of them, right? They're awesome. They're like timeless, aren't they? Well, Charles Schultz, the, the author, the um, artist, um, he, he produced a, a comic strip years and years ago that showed Lucy coming in to Linus, who was in the living room watching TV. And she says, Linus, change the channel. I want to watch a different show. And Linus says, you can't tell me what to do. And she says, yes, I can. I've got five reasons I can tell you what to do right here. And she takes her hand, and as Lucy is known to do, she says, one, two, three, four, five. And she says, I know these fingers look like they can't accomplish anything by themselves, but when they're brought together into one unit, they make a powerful weapon, Linus. Change the channel. Linus gets up and changes the dial, because that's what we had in our day and age was a dial. And he changes the dial. And he looks down at his hand and he says, why can't you guys organize like that? <laughs> and Lucy gets her way. And I wonder if we as a church were able to work together in unity better than we have in the past. If we could do that moving forward, imagine with me for a moment what we could do. What we could accomplish if we were together. All in agreement behind the mission of the spread of the gospel. I believe that we could accomplish great things for God. I believe that we would see what his plan is for the, the vision that he's given us as a church to accomplish. I think it would come together and it would almost be easy to accomplish because we would be doing what God has asked us to do in the way that God has asked us 
to do it. And so we see here in verses 4, 5, and 6 that unity in the church is important. He talks about how many times does he say one? One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, one God over all things that's in all and through all. And so unity in purpose is the highest mark of a strong church. And the reason I want to emphasize strength is is because sometimes some people may think, well, if we're just all together, that sounds like, you know, you're not standing for the truth. No, the truth is our foundation. We have to stand for the truth. We have to have as our covering the mission, that, 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 that um, you know, great commission that God gave us to go out and to, to share the good news with the world. And so it's unity, and it is strength. It's unity in, in what we do, which is mission and purpose, but it's also unity in how we do it, method and practice, with the truth of God's word in mind. And so it truly is a sign of strength. Now, how do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish as a church unity? Well, I think what Paul does here is I believe that he describes three keys to having unity in a body of believers and having unity among different churches everywhere. I think he describes three different things, and I want to walk you through this today, kind of three keys to having church unity. And listen, Hilton Head Island Community Church, if we can practice this, oh, man, it'd be amazing what God does in our midst. The first thing that he does, I believe, is I think he challenges us to be liberal with new Christ-like qualities. He wants us to be liberal, to be generous, to not hold back with expressing and operating with new Christ-like qualities. And he even goes into great detail in this chapter describing what those new Christ-like qualities are. Check this out. In verse 2, he says that we should walk with all humility and with gentleness and with patience. And he says that we should bear with one another in love. If all we did is if we just treated each other that way, if we treated our community that way, I think we'd, we'd do great things for God. But then the second half of this chapter, I believe he goes into this in more detail. Check this out. Verses 17 through the end of the chapter. He says, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord. Stay with me on this. This will all come together in a moment. He says that you must no longer walk. Remember, he began with walking in a manner worthy of the high calling. He says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Kind of a funny situation there because he refers to the Gentiles, yet he's writing to Gentiles, right? But he's really writing to new Christ followers, and so he's making that distinction that no longer are they Gentiles. And listen, even in that one little verse, he's described the radical change that takes place. Listen, if you're, if you're here today and you have become a Christian, whether it was decades ago, I almost said centuries, that would have been really bad. I would have, that, that's like way too long, sorry. Decades ago, or perhaps years ago, or months ago, or weeks ago. If, if you have become a, or days ago, if you have become a Christ follower, you are something, listen, you are something entirely new. Even if it was like me at a young age. You have the old you, and you have the new you. 
And here, what he's doing is he's describing, even in mentioning that they should no longer walk in the way that the Gentiles do. He's describing their old self in the futility of their mind. Verse 18 says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He says they've become hard in their heart to God. They become callous and having given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy practice, uh, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says, but this is not the way that you learned in Christ. And then he, I think this is kind of funny here. He says for a moment, assuming that you have heard about him, he's essentially saying, I'm assuming that you paid attention <laughs> to the gospel message and all that it is and everything that I've just written about. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, true, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your, say that with me, those two words, old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on, say those next two words with me, the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. And then he says, therefore, and he goes into great detail here about the difference between the old man or the old self and the new self. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say they're not to be angry. Because he understands that anger is a normal human emotion. What he says is that you can be angry and not sin. Jesus was angry. Yet he didn't sin. When he walked into the temple, the house of God, and they, they were selling things to make money, and he went and turned the tables over. He was angry, but he didn't sin. It was righteous anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A anger is such a root for the evil one to do work in our lives. That's a whole other message series sometime. Okay. Let the, and he says this in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Do you hear the contrast there? Do you hear the difference, the contrast? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that is which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'll describe that in a moment. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I want you to capture this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and, um, and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be liberal with how we express and when we express those characteristics of the new person. And that means, Christ follower, that you and I live in that new life on a daily basis, that when we slip back, and we will at times, when we slip back into those old ways, that we allow the Holy Spirit to do something in our life to bring us back. Check this out to get this contrast. The old way, I've summarized it here, is persuaded by culture, turned in a moment by culture, 
The old way is controlled by lust and greed and sexual immorality. It's manipulating the truth to get our own way. It's lashing out in anger. It's, it's stealing from others for personal gain. It's leveraging words to harm others and help ourselves. It's operating with bitterness and rage and harshness, slander and evil. But look at, in contrast, what he says about the new way. Those first couple verses say that we should operate with gentleness and humility and the love of God, that we should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When he says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, what that means is that we have an open heart, a soft heart, not a hard heart, to the working of the Holy Spirit. That when God begins to convict us, that we don't turn our back on what God is saying. That when he encourages us, we don't look, that we turn our back on accepting that encouragement. We're to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and also submissive to his direction. Thank, uh, truthful but not angry. Hardworking, generous, leveraging words that encourage and build us up and help others. Operating with kindness and tenderness and strength. And so the question I want to leave you with in that first key to church unity is what qualities mark your life and how you treat people? Are you one that is treating people out of that old way or do you treat people out of that new way? Are you liberal and generous with those qualities of Christ? Secondly, the second key to church unity is we need to be relentless about pursuing church unity. Do you realize one of the, one of the most common themes in all of the New Testament is this subject of church unity? of being unified around the mission of the church. And he says in, in verse 3 there, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. I don't know about you, but being eager, is a, that's a strong word. It wasn't like Paul was like, um, hey, you might want to do this. You might want to pursue unity. I think it might be a good idea, or here's a suggestion, why don't you pursue unity? He says, have an eagerness. People who are eager about something, you know what they do? They accomplish it. It, it comes from deep within, and he says that we need to have an eagerness to maintain the unity of the, of the spirit of the bond of peace. And so the question I want to ask you, or want you to ask is, am I generally contributing to unity or discord at my church, at Hilton Head Island Community Church? Are you contributing to unity or are you someone who's contributing to uh, divisiveness and, and, and disunity and discord? I think that's a question that we need to ask in terms of our part in promoting church unity. Gossip and slander can kill, can kill momentum, can't it? Gossip and slander can ruin, ruin people's lives. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to contribute to the unity of your church, wherever it is, and, and those of you who are here to do that here. And then lastly, the third thing is that we are strategic in service. 
I'm not going to reread it, but Ephesians 7 through 13 begins to give some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive once we become Christ followers. We receive gifts. Each one of you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're equipped. God has given you specific talents and gifts that um, his intention is for you to use in the body of Christ. And here in Ephesians, we find some of the gifts of those who are um, intended to be in, in leadership and administration of a church. And so I believe that what Paul is talking about here is like the elders and staff and people who administrate the church. In fact, our philosophy of ministry here at Hilton Head Island Community Church is that the staff, myself, Todd, Cooper, Cynthia, uh, Summer, and Wendy, and the rest uh, are, are administrators, Chris McBride, that we're, Kelly Stockwell, that we're administrators of the ministry. And our goal is, we talked about it here recently, our goal is to build teams of people to accomplish the ministry because it's one thing for me to go out and do it by myself, but it's another thing for me to take you all with me. And so this idea of serving together in unity, and that requires us doing our part, but it requires you doing your part. And so my question is for you, or the question I want you to ask is, is have I found my shape and am I serving under the authority of my church here, at, if you're here at Hilton at Allen Community Church? The staff, we're the administrators, the members of the ministers. We serve in ministry together, walking arm in arm. But it takes us doing our part. It takes you doing your part. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to go online and take that shape profile. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experience. And God can use all of that to benefit his church and to benefit our community for Christ. If you haven't done that, you can go, it's so easy. You go online under the all in tab. You go there, you take that. And if you haven't become a member and you've been here for a while, I want to encourage you to do that right along with taking that shape profile. It's an important part of furthering the kingdom of God here. So are you contributing to the unity of the church? I believe that we can accomplish amazing things when we do it together. In fact, the bottom line, I think, of this whole chapter is that a relentless commitment to church unity produces mature members contributing to a strong purpose with healthy results. Does that sound pretty good to you? It does to me. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Not a church that's divided and can't figure out what it wants to do, but a church that has mature members that know the truth that understand their purpose, that we contribute to a strong purpose, and that the results are healthy. If we walk in unity, we can just leave the results up to God. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when we work together. As many of you know, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, and it's May. It's almost June. I just heard a boo, I think, but anyway, Maggie. Uh, <laughs> And I have just gotten to the point where I feel comfortable using my beloved Atlanta Falcons as an illustration after what happened earlier this year. I, I have come to grips with what happened earlier this year. I'm not going to talk about in detail what happened earlier this year. I'm not going to even reference what game it was earlier this year. And if you come and confront me about it later, I'm going to act like the old self, okay? All right, just kidding. I won't do that. But one of the things that allowed my beloved team to have the success they did because they weren't supposed to this year was because they got behind their mission together in unity. And about a year ago, they started talking about this thing called brotherhood. 
And brotherhood was their kind of word to describe the fact that they were a team and that they would succeed as a team and that they would fail as a team and they would practice as a team and they would eat as a team and live as a team and they would work together. But for this group of, of, of people, this group of, of men, um, it meant so much more than that. It meant when they saw someone else beginning to get weak, they would help pull them up and in some cases even keep them accountable because they realized that they all needed to be working together to accomplish the goal. And even though they missed that goal by a very, very, very small margin in a very, very, very short period of time, <laughs> they understood what it means to work together. Oh, what we could accomplish as a church if we can walk together arm in arm, hand in hand. And a day is coming, I believe, church, when we're going to need that more than ever in the past. The future is going to be a time that we need to operate unified together behind the purpose of the church so that we, all of us, can be ready for the struggle that is oh so real in our lives and in our world. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for this letter that was written by Paul, this man who was in chains for your purpose. And God, I thank you that it was written in the time that it was written, that it was written the way that it was written. It was delivered in the fashion it was delivered. God, you were all over this. But here we are so many years later. It's 2017, and this letter applies to us. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for dying for our sins, for rising again three days later so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with you one day. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, and we thank you for all the things that we are in you. We thank you that we find our identity, and that helps us to understand what our purpose is and what we do. God, I thank you that it's not the other way around, that we don't have to work for our identity. We work because of our identity. And God, I pray that you would help Hilton Head Island Community Church, this church, in this location, during this period of history. I pray that you would help us to be as unified and together as we possibly can. Realizing that we all have weaknesses, we all have strengths. God, help us to find the place that we are gifted and designed to serve and help us to get involved. God, I pray that we would be people that would, with generosity and with a liberal mindset, share those rich character qualities of who we are in you, the new self. God, may we treat each other and may we treat those around us in your image. May we follow your lead. May we look to you as our model and not the world. God, help us when we do begin to act like the old self. God, help us to get back to it. Help us to be sensitive to your leading. And God, may we be a church that's unified 
And God, may our community and those who don't know you who, or who are unchurched or maybe unsure, may they look at Hilton Head Island Community Church and may they see a beautiful picture of you, not a divided picture of you. But God, may they see you for who you truly are. If you're in here today and um, maybe you've never stepped, made that first step, Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. And everything that we're talking about today sounds so great, but it's never been activated in your life. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus right now. And just in the quietness of this moment, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and I want to invite you, if you've never done this, to pray a prayer that's either like this or something like this to God to receive him as your savior. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die for me. And today, right now, I believe in you. And right now, I receive you as my savior. Help me now to live for you. And if you prayed that prayer in this room, and you meant it, God heard you, Um, I want to encourage you at the bottom of that worship folder you received when you came in today, there's just a little form there, and I want to encourage you to fill that out, take it to guest services, hand that to them. They're going to give you a little gift of a Bible, and um, I want to be able to follow up with you. We want to be able to follow up with you to help you in in that new faith walk. God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is leading in the life of this church and in our community. And God, we just ask for more of that. God, may you um, just do more in our lives and in the life of this church. We thank you for the encouragement that we read today from Paul. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.